Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? We are still at our stupid fucking apartments. But we had a chance a couple of days ago of actually recording outdoors. We did, and then I didn't watch the movie we were supposed to watch, and then the place that we went wasn't requiring masks, Mm -hmm. and so we just decided to drink in a different place that was safer, and Mm -hmm. didn't talk about network. We certainly did not, but yeah, so things, some things are starting to open, you know, from the perspective that is becoming a reality. Or, you know, like a possibility that just meeting up outside of a bar in an outdoor drinking area and just talking. So we may need to explore that soon. I cannot wait for the Eagle to open. I can't <laughs> wait. I don't know why they haven't opened before. They have a huge patio, a huge patio. Yeah, I think that, I don't know what is the rationing, honestly. I, I don't know. I think that it's like, yes, they are like where the gay people would be terrible if given the opportunity. And it's like, if we open, no one is going to be respecting the distances. No one is going to be re- respecting like the maximum capacity of the venue. And it's going to be a train wreck. Is that we're going to be starting like another wave of coronavirus. Would, I would go on like Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. It was me and two other people. I, that sounds like a business that can open. <laughs> the other people will be Troy. Yes. All the two people. Troy probably, was the most important attendant. Yeah, and probably the other one would be the uh, the guy that always lives in the corner. That keeps yeah. taking my picture surreptitiously. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, the one that likes the magicians. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, what did we watch today? We watched. Hold on. I don't think I know the year. 1976, the Sydney Lumet film and classic network mm-hmm. yeah and i think that this was my pick and the reason why i pick it it was because i watched this movie pretty close to a uh, joseph losey the servant and i remember that i like both of them and i was surprised about like how good the servant was after this many years and i felt like wow it's actually significantly better than even i remember so i was wondering how network had aged from 15 years ago to now, because I don't remember too much about the story. So 15 years ago is the last time you saw it. So like circa 2005, 2006. Yeah, I think that it was just checking one of these lists of the best directors ever, you know, and see the Nomad was there. And I was surprised that the only movie that I had watched of him uh, back then was uh, 12 Angry Men. And well, no, sorry, I also was like Dog Day after me. So you would have been approximately 24, 25 when you saw yeah. this? Okay. Yeah. You know what? So I, I had it. not seen this film uh, gotcha. at all before. This was the first time mm-hmm. for me. And then, wait, he didn't direct Joker, right? No, he was dead at that point. On his IMDb page, there's, this is a Sidney Lumet's IMDb page, and it's Joker on the cover. <laughs> that's bizarre. I mean, if I check his page, oh yeah, that you're right. Why is that there? Why is he involved in Joker in kind of way? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, Robert De Niro is there. Um, Robert De Niro was also in, uh, in some of his movies. So the last film he did before he died was Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which yeah. I've seen, you have not. Yeah, and not. it's a mind-blowingly good film starring... Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as a heroin addict and his brother, Ethan Hawke. And as I recall, they plan to kill their parents for money. Anyway. Not <laughs> wow. Okay. So you would recommend watching that one? Oh, for sure. I, as I remember, and I saw that film in theater, so it was 13 years ago. I thought it was fantastic. But I'm looking... I mean, he's a pretty prolific director. I think I did see the verdict from 82. Oh, he did a film version of Equus, the play that Daniel Radcliffe did where he appeared nude on Broadway. Oh. That was his film right after Network, which we watched. Huh, okay. That's interesting, I didn't know that. Isn't Serpico like fairly famous? It is. 
And he did the original Murder on the Orient Express. Huh. And you watched 12 Angry Men? Or I you watched, watched what? You watched 12 Angry Men? Or did you I watch did. the Russian version? I saw 12, which was the Russian version, which was fucking incredible. 12 Angry Men was awesome. I saw the Amy Schumer 12 Angry Men, which was even <laughs> better than both of those. Combined. <laughs> But I don't see anything else on his list that I've seen. It was that he did for a while some TV and not, not, well, he started with TV and the first real movie that he did was to Thank You And then he went back to TV for a while. Yeah, so there's like a lot of TV, like probably TV was not a degradation for a Hollywood, you know, like personality back then. So it's been... <gasps> How old am I? 35. So it's been 15, 14 years since I've seen 12 Angry Men. But as I recall, that's almost a perfect film. Yeah. I watched it like twice or three times and it's, it's like a really, really good movie that I think that it is still aged pretty well. All right. So, so that's he, it from his filmography that I've seen. He actually did a remake or a loosely adaptation of Rashomon. In 1960, yeah. as a TV movie. Good lord. That I feel like, why? Why would you have the need for making that? So I feel like I, I don't know how I feel about him as a director. Mm -hmm. I, I love 12 Angry Men, but because he's made 75 other pieces and I haven't seen any of them. Oh, wait, didn't you and I watch The Appointment? No. Lawyer Federico Fendi has reason to believe that his wife Carla in secret is Rome's highest paid prostitute. Maybe we should watch that next. Yeah. So something like Belle de Jour. Something like it. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I would be more interested in watching more movies of him. But as you actually watch already, like more than three, three or more, is like it doesn't look like it has a specific style. No, that's true. I, it's not like he has like a Tony Scott or a Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Like, oh, this is Sidney Lumet, at least as far as we understand. But again, we haven't seen many of his films. No, that's true. And maybe he actually, his style evolved over time. And he tried to just adapt his sensibilities to the sensibilities of the time. And to be frank, I mean, 12 Angry Men Network, not to give anything away, and um, Before the, Before Devil, the Devil, Devil Knows You're Dead, they've all been fantastic films. So maybe he's just, for me, an undiscovered gem. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the thing is that, for example, we're talking about like a style. Can you think about a director that he has like a very, very distinguished style? that that style eventually doesn't wear out or starts feeling thin. Because from time to time with Tarantino, it's like some of the movies they feel like, mm, okay, it's, it's okay, but... Ingmar Bergman, 100%. His style okay. will never go out of style. Okay. So good. I've seen 26 of his films and it never gets old. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would say that, for example, with Almodovar, he evolved his style. He's not the same style as in the beginning. He's so, he You're like accurate, great. but I feel like his style has devolved and the stuff he makes now isn't as interesting as the stuff he made in the 80s and 90s. From Almodovar? That's what I would say. So you didn't like the last one? I, I did like the last one, but if you think of something like Broken Embraces... No, you're trolling me. But what I'm saying is he, he moved from this like super gritty, these are transsexual women trying to relate to their mothers, which was very interesting. And mm -hmm. now he's just obsessed with Penelope Cruz and high heels. It's not exactly. But, but Penelope Cruz is, oh, sure. I mean, Penelope Cruz is in pain and glory, but I don't know, man. I mean, I just feel like pain and glory felt significantly more sophisticated. I was talking with someone the other day and he was telling me that, oh, I love John Waters. I mean, there's something that I didn't realize is that actually Pedro Almodovar, when he started, he was super crass. Is that his first three, four films are 
yeah, they're like super, super dark, but super dark in a way that is like this is just gross. In the first but, movie, in Pepe Lucy Bon, for example, one of the girls pees on another one of them. Okay, but tell me, so all about my mother, talk to her, bad, bad education. Tell me how those compare to Broken Embraces, the skin I live in, and I'm so excited. Look, Broken Embraces, the thing with, uh, with Almodovar, usually he has like a good movie and then another one that is like, ah, not that good. For example, Kika is not that good, but High Heels is amazing. Tacones Lejanos, I don't know why they translate it to High Heels. And the flower it's of my It's also important sequence. to understand that I didn't like Volver and you did. So for me, I there's this Volver. like 15 year yeah. gap of him producing anything interesting, yeah. except <laughs> I'm so excited, which was brilliant. Uh, Broken Embraces was incredibly bad. It was like just yeah, such, was super bad. It's a look, you, you, it's probably like mother for Aronofsky's. Like you spent just a day writing this script. Because <laughs> you never actually just make a second pass to it. Uh, also, I took my um, my brand new African American stepfather to see Broken Embraces, just me and him, yeah. in the theater when we had first just met. And I remember being so uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, "This is so bad. I can't believe I brought him to this." Yeah, that was that was a bad movie. You know, it's like usually he has like a good one and a bad one. It's a bad occasion. Supposedly, is not a good one is not, you know, at the level of the good ones. Volver is a movie that I love. The skin I like in is I still don't get it. I The premise is not bad, but it's a sword. You know, is that the material that you have there in the original story is something that you could have done as a sword. You don't need like a 19 minutes movie for this. Shorts don't make any money, Jose. I know, but it's like, don't do this a movie. Get paid. I sure. I'm so excited he was just trying to recapture the crazy feeling of his first movies. And I think that that was a complete train wreck. And not the kind of train wreck that is enjoyable to watch. That's like, no, no, this is not how it works. Did you watch Julieta? Yeah. And Did you like it? We talked about that and I, I liked it a lot. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing. That was the one about the daughter joining a cult, right? And then the mother yeah. trying to save her. Yeah, but they were the problem that I have with that one is like the same as with uh, the skin I live in. I live in is that both of them uh, they're not his script. He actually took some stories and he combined them into just a single story. So you can see that it, with Julieta, it starts with her being young, then just being you know like just giving birth, and then the story of trying to find the daughter is that he actually combined those three independent stories into just a single narrative. And it's like, I just feel like it's a bit disjointed. It's not bad, but it's like, I felt like, nah, it's not terrible, but it's not his best. But I think that Pain and Glory is, is good. It's now, a really Pain good and Glory is my favorite Almodovar film. It's my favorite one. It's wow. so good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know that for me, it's all about my mother. I love that movie. I've seen it so many times. And I hate that it takes place in Barcelona. But... I never paid attention to Almodovar's older, like quote unquote older films until you gifted me one for my birthday. And that was all about my mother, I think. You gave me that one and that prompted me to look into others. Did you watch uh, Woman on the Birds of a Nervous Breakdown? Yes, because you asked me to. <laughs> and you like it, no? I did, yeah. That was okay. a very good movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's extremely absurd. He also has like a bit more, it's not really crass, you know, but it's like he's extremely absurd humor. It's that older style that he had that was like, hey, life's fucking messy. This is yeah. what life is. Yeah. 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 So, but it, it actually works, you know, but it's now when you try to translate that humor or that situation from the 80s to 2010s, to the 10s, like, in I'm so excited when they throw the, uh, the phone through the window, I don't know if you remember, and he falls in the basket, in the bicycle basket of the ex-girlfriend of one of the guys. <laughs> like, what is this? this is so absurd, but it's not absurd in a, you know, like a funny kind of way. So the, case, the scene that stands up from that movie is when the two pilots, there's the super masculine one who's getting blown by the other pilot. And the more effeminate one is in touch with that guy's wife and they've arranged their relationship. And I was like, oh, God. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like I don't know, like a movie from the seventies trying to talk about sexual liberation, but tar- yes. but made by Disney, so it's a bit more like <laughs> no, or you know, like your parents trying to talk about sexual liberation, and they say like no, I think that they're like stop better that, sources. Yeah, please, this just looks working. Uh, so yeah, but in any case, we didn't watch an Almodovar movie. I don't know exactly how. Yeah, I don't know exactly how we got here, but we should actually watch one of the of his movies. So, uh, so I just mentioned why I pick it. So, what is it about? What is Network about? Network is about. Uh, it's hard to describe. So there's like an old school journalist, uh, a news anchor on television on the worst ranked network uh, in America. And he's getting fired because of low ratings. And so on one of his last um, episodes of what he, where he performs the news, he says that he's going to blow his brains out, uh, (laughs) which obviously is a fireable offense, but then the public goes crazy and it increases the network's rating. So then the network decides to use his essentially a mental breakdown. I think um, they use him for ratings and he rises again to stardom quote unquote saves the network. Um, but then the network just feeds on his crisis and eventually he falls again. And it's about all the people behind the scenes who want to use him and manipulate him and how I don't know. I don't even know how to go on and on about this. Yeah. I mean, the other day someone was asking me, oh, what movie are you watching? I said, oh, I'm watching Network for 1976. And uh, he asked me, oh, what is it about? I mean, how I define it is like basically a network that is in shambles, a TV network, and they are trying to figure it out how far they can go for getting audience. Because the part with all the terrorists, you know, like the terrorist group is like, it's so absurd. But at the same time, it actually does the pitch. It's like, well, if the first part, you know, with the crazy mad prophet would work, why not pushing it a bit further? And so Faye Dunaway stars in this film, and she plays she plays a vice president of programming, but she feels like more of a producer. And she has yeah. this insight into the American audience, and she's like, we cannot have conventional programming anymore. We need to have basically modern day reality TV. That's what she sees as the people wanting. And it is what people want. And she gets the ratings and the network goes crazy. Um, And it was horrifying thinking about this movie in 1976 and how today we have a president who's a reality TV star. It was was way too relevant. It really disturbed (laughs) me. It upset me. So yeah, that was one of the things that like, a part of me was thinking is that, well, this is a bit more like a 70s version of Fight Club from the perspective of like, reality, you know, like even the distances, but from the perspective that it's like, it's trying to tap into a discontent American society that it has become dormant. Yeah, and it has the context of, um, boy, are they anti-Arab in this film. The Arabs are raising the oil prices. There are these, like, yeah. sex, the, the same sort of sex that kidnapped Patty Hearst in San Francisco in the 70s. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, it was, it was hard to watch because it felt so relevant. I don't, I don't know. That's interesting. Did, huh? it reso- did it resonate with you as a non-American in that way? It resonated in a different kind of way. You know, it's like I actually thought that, okay, I understand the kind of reality that they are portraying, but I didn't grow up here. So I can understand that most of it, it felt realistic until they started becoming like a bit more absurd, like the, uh, the scenes when they are on the ranch with the terrorists and they have like seven lawyers like within the contract. You know that it's, okay, this is just pure absurd, like pure absurd things. But... I get it. You know, I get like the points that they're trying to make. It resonated from the perspective that is like basically the TV that we have nowadays. If it's closer, you know, than it should to what is the absurd reality that they portray there. Yeah. It's basically what this film predicted is now what we live with the Kardashians and the absurd reality TV. Um, but yeah. but there is like a big difference. There is like a really big difference that is like nowadays, and especially for following generations, that they're like way more connected into the internet. 
there is one sentence that I repeat like three or four times that is like, why should I be the one like bringing this truth to the people, you know? And it's like, because you are on TV, dummy. It's like, I think that right now TV is not that relevant. It's a bit more like about social media. So you can be your own crazy prophet, but it's like anyone can be that crazy prophet. That's the part that is like, that's when I portray to nowadays, is like, I feel like the message with the range TV for just getting here because of the ratings is true. But at the same time, it's like, we are not going to be living on that reality because we're moving towards, I mean, in terms for example, I had the feeling that it's more impactful, not only what he says in the White House, but also why he tweets. And I think that that's going to be like becoming more of a more of a trend as the year passes by. I agree with you that like quote unquote new media has made network a little bit obsolete. But yeah. if you take away new media and you look at the state of oh, television yeah. now, I mean it's exactly it's exactly what network predicted. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that it's extremely forward thinking. You know, it's, it's true that it just crosses the line. There were like some points that I was like, okay, this this movie just dances a thin, a thin line between being poignant and being absurd. You know, like I just embrace it, like the absurd comedy almost. And what I, so I loved this film, just to put it out there. One of the things that I loved about it is that it starts out as a very straightforward drama. Yeah. And it gets so absurd, but it's almost like the frog in the boiling water is that yep. you don't realize how absurd it gets. <laughs> yeah. that, that final scene where they just agree to have Howard murdered yep. on screen. And I was like, holy shit, this is the greatest ending of any movie ever. Yep, yeah. How they actually just start like that meeting with all of them. And there's like right. one that actually, one doesn't talk. That is like, it's probably the only still that is like just grasped into reality about like, what are you doing? But like someone, I think that is like Faye Dana when I said, okay, so just to be clear, we are agreeing that we're going to be killing this guy in the air. Yeah, the, the, like the president of the, the, the network is like, we're talking about a capital crime. Are we sure we want to do this? And they're like, yep, we can get great ratings. Yeah. <laughs> That's the moment I realized the water was boiling and somehow I didn't notice. But I did find a lot of humor throughout. Um, yeah. And the performances, my God, they were all so good and so realistic. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, there was, there was one of the presents, like, I don't know if you will like it or not, because it was like, okay, it looks like he's, the 70s when the method uh, started to just become predominant. And I felt like the, uh, yeah, the method actor, you know, so he said, I just felt like the, uh, the the acting was never too over exaggerated. For example, I love the story of the director of the news that he gets fired. I don't know how what was his name, uh, Max, I think. The one who ends Max. up with Faye Dunaway as a exactly. interest. Yeah. Yeah. Is that I love that story about like how they actually displayed, you know, and how like the interaction with all of them. I love the scene where they're having sex and Faye Dunaway cannot stop talking. About the problem. Oh my gosh, that made me so uncomfortable. Yeah, and I love the scene when Max is talking with his wife about like, yeah, I fell in love with her. Well, I fell in love. I just, you know, having an affair with this girl and how she actually reacts to it. I feel like, wow, she has only been in this scene. She has been like a background character and this, this is the only scene that matters for her. You know? And it's like, it's good. It's, I care. I believe this character. I feel like, yeah. yeah, there are like a lot of characters on this, but it doesn't feel like they're like just detached from the stories. Like all of them, they are like just living this kind of breakdown of society that is happening in their own ways. So tell me, so, okay, I love the performances. I love the movie. How did you feel about the script writing? That, look, when I was watching, I wasn't completely sure you were going to like it or not. I liked it as much as I like it originally because I think that is. It's not subtle. It's, <laughs> not subtle. it's not subtle at all. You know? It's like when you have like the ending is like this terrorist group like just standing up and shooting him live on TV. It's like, yeah, this was not, you know, an allegorical ending. You know, it's like it's pretty to your face kind of thing that is happening here. So from that perspective, I felt like the, uh, comparing one again to, with The Servant, is that The Servant felt like a extremely sophisticated film from the uh, scripts and everything else, you know, this felt like a bit more bland. But I think that it actually works. I think that it actually it work, is. Yeah. 
it's true that sometimes it may have like a bit more of melodrama that you know that I don't have any kind of problem with it. And I think that's, that's the reason why I, like, I don't know if like it's going to be like in this or not. But I think that it actually should because it talks about television. You know, it talks a bit more like even when he's describing, I love the wording that Max's character uses for describing the affair with Faye Dunaway about like, she has a script. It's a, actually a relationship, it's a program that she's like just envisioning in her mind. This is going to be like changing the speed, it's going to be like moving. And I felt like that's an amazing metaphor about like just defining like the kind of relationship that you're going to have with someone, especially when that someone works on television and that's the only thing good that they can do. The only thing that they can do good. Yeah, so I agree with you. It's a great metaphor. One of the final scenes with that fired reporter and Faye Dunaway when he's like, you are television personified. Nothing matters to you that's real. It's true, but I feel like the film lost some of its gravitas by calling out its own metaphor, saying, your television, (laughs) do you get it, audience? Your television. Well, but they they mentioned like multiple times, you know, it's like I think that when she actually says that the only thing that I'm good at is a television, so I breathe television. I don't know if she says I breathe television, but it's pretty clear that that's the only thing they can think about. Everything else yeah, is she accessory says that she's completely inept at everything in her life except her job, which she's very good at. Yeah. So, and she actually does breathe it when she's having sex and she cannot stop talking with it. And he's like, oh my God, clear. I wanted to slap her. I yeah. wanted to slap her so bad. And that point is like Max infatuation is basically a combination between like, um, this like, young woman, you know, that like, she doesn't look that young. I don't know why. And she actually she mentioned like multiple times, you know, like, oh, you're with a young woman. Is it, who? No. Oh, you! <laughs> and uh, the other part is that he's also like just getting out of touch with what television is nowadays. And probably for him, it's also like a way of just still like just grasping that, like just clings to the idea of this is television. I was good at this. So I want to just be in contact with that through this woman. They, al- they also kept calling Max a middle-aged man. And I was like, you were at least 60. What? Like, yeah. what is happening? Um, so... Did the script remind you of any popular modern-day scriptwriter working today? I don't know. Who do you have in mind? So, again, I liked the movie, but some of those, like, monologues were way too Aaron Oh, Sorkin-esque. holy shit, no go to Aaron Sorkin. I thought about Aaron Sorkin for a <laughs> moment, you know? But I it's just... not moralist. He's not trying to take a higher stand. Yeah, but who, that scriptwriter was very impressed with his knowledge of current events, and the monologues went on so much that I was like, fuck you, Aaron Sorkin. I'm never <laughs> going to watch The Social Network again. <laughs> I agree with that part. The Social Network, it was like, just like, okay, David Fincher, you did a good job. Aaron Sorkin, please don't write anymore. So but, who wrote the script? Let me see. Uh, screenplay, Paddy Chaispe. So probably he's not related to that. To anyone else, he wrote the hospital, Marty, Alter Stage, Middle of the Night. So nothing recently. Alter Stage, Marty, the hospital. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, nothing else. The way we were—that sounds familiar, but I don't know it. Yeah. No, I honestly, I I like the script. I can understand the kind of okay they had this ongoing conversations that everyone is like to the point presenting like these kind of elaborative ideas like for example when the max is describing his love for fate that way as the script i feel like i don't think that anyone could come with an idea like that like that's out of the blue when you're See, having like a me, I was, discussion i was trying to count the number of times companies were named by name either in harold's monologues or the president of the network talking about the duponts and and yeah I was like, okay, I, I get it. Like two hours and seven minutes, I've heard enough <laughs> metaphors and allegories. I get it. But I, I actually thought about it when uh, Faye Dunaway was talking about like different programs and the likes. And yeah, I what? Like different programs, you know, like different TV shows from other uh, network TVs. When he said, oh, yeah, we're going to be competing with ABC's, ABC's uh, The House in the Prairie. We're going to be like NBC has this and the Bionic uh, and uh, this is, sorry, the Bionic Woman and the $6 million man, all that kind of stuff. When they are discussing this, 
I think there is a way of connecting the audience and just making the film more verosimil. You know, like making about okay, what about if the, in this world that you have like these three networks TV that they have been living forever in there, you throw someone that doesn't have a chance of surviving unless they go crazy with doing something like so out of the normal. So I think that if I was the audience there, I would feel as you were saying like about how significant the show felt or how important the show felt by nowadays standards is like if I were watching it on the 70s, I would feel like scared about like, oh, that could happen. What would it tell us about our society? That is that we are just like a crazy person away from going crazy. But we are, aren't we? I mean, yeah, we already Donald have Trump, Trump there. <laughs> Trump got on the air and said, everyone go to your window and say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. If I mean, we were not in San Francisco, we would hear people shouting that out their window. Well, just think that we had for a while at 8 p.m., the people holding here, they were not clapping. Here they were holding. For the frontline workers? Yeah. So, yeah. sure, I don't know if it's exactly like one person away, but something that I would like to watch, and I know that this is not something that it should be done, but I would like to watch like a network too. I wish that they actually have, have done like something about like how society would change from this. Or like what would be the impact of something like this guy getting killed in television? Is, a, is this going to be like impacting long term or is actually society just move away from the mass profit stereotype? But isn't what the film was saying is that this mad profit, it's a gimmick and it's not sustainable and people will consume it and then ultimately they'll realize that it was just as empty as everything else they were consuming before the mad profit. Probably. Probably. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I'm, I'm not completely sure. I'm not sure if it was like, okay, this is like the thing of the hour. It's that like we already consuming for six months and we are done. But the only reason why they moved to something else, why they stopped watching it, is because the uh, director or whatever, you know, like the other guy that I found like pretty hot, uh, he tells him, you have to stop giving shit to the network. You can sit anything else, but not the network. Because that's the most important thing. Exactly. You don't actually buy the hand that is feeding you. So from that perspective, like at that point, people started to call out that is like your, what you're saying is no longer honest. And it has become a bit more about like just self-loathing instead of hating other stuff. And that people so, don't want that. People want to hate something. So it's like, I don't know. If for example, ABC will have found another mark profit that people will be willing to follow, maybe that will continue. Well, I think their, their basic supposition, I guess it's not supposition, but they're, they're, um, the theory that they present is that the American people were super angry and what they want at this point is not the news. They wanted a way to express their anger and yep. that's what Harold did, yep. which um, was frustratingly benign or banal, but it's 100% yep. accurate today. And so I found everything oh, yeah. that I was watching was presented in a, in a very technically sound way, but I also found it boring because this is our everyday life now. <laughs> and I don't know how <laughs> people in the 70s and 1976, did they feel like this was a message they were already familiar with? It, was it tired even then? Well, you tell me, is that you read the uh, New York Times Review, no? I do, but I was also born in 84, which is eight years after this film even came out. Sure, sure. But I mean, like I said, you're not going to have like an opinion about that reality. That is exactly the same thing with me. That is like, I don't have an opinion about America in the 70s. I wasn't born and I wasn't living here. But I mean, that you read like some of the reviews, no? About this film. I, I read the New York Times review, yes. And it basically said, this movie is right on point. It's a little too realistic or it's a little too accurate but it's very good is essentially what it said but okay. as i as i was telling you before we started recording is that the new york times review was frustratingly obtuse like there wasn't much there which i rely on the new york times articles to explain things that i didn't understand which i think i understood absolutely everything about this movie there was there's nothing like deeper it's very good at what it's saying but it's not like there's this magical mystical meaning behind it yeah you know it's face value it's a yeah. face value movie and that doesn't mean that it's better or worse is that it's just face value that doesn't leave like anything to the imagination the only thing to the imagination is like what i want to leave there 
there is a, I, is this going to be like just ending up in some kind of uprising, you know, or changing in societies? Like, probably not. We don't know. And probably doesn't matter. So not to jump to the the score part but i'm super curious to hear your score and the reasoning behind it and also will you watch this film again and would you recommend it uh this is the second time that i watch it and yes i would recommend it i would recommend it i think it's not as that it's a perfect film you know but it's a kiss slightly above two hours the time flew by watching it yeah, that's true. I didn't feel like it was two hours and seven minutes. Yeah, so it's an entertaining film. I think that it actually just succeeds on the idea that it's trying to display. I think that the metaphor that you did with the frog and the boiling water is perfect about like the increased of intensity that it has. That is at the beginning, it's this like, I don't know, like Murphy Brown. You should know about like, okay, yeah, this is like one of these TV dramas. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, okay. But it's like, they're believable. That's the thing. It's like all the yeah. steps that they're giving is that they are believable. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah, that could happen. It's like, okay, that just happened. But if everything else just, you know, it was realistic, maybe that could happen too. So and that's why I was blown away when they decided to plan his murder. I was like, everything is believable up until this moment. How did, how the fuck did I get here? How did I get here? Yeah, yeah, but it's like, that's the reason what I think, that the script is, is good. It's good. And I don't think that it actually just takes this kind of high moral perspective of all, like just looking down into the audience about like, I know what America is, you know, and it's better than you think that Aaron Sorkin loves. is like, he's... The newsroom, the yeah. network, just saying. He took a lot of inspiration from this movie, I think. True, but is that the network, network? I don't think the network actually tries to tell you that America is better. You know, it actually just displays uh, Americans in a not very favorable light. But what what the newsroom did that the network does is it finds exactly what the American the American people want and gives it to them and. And Aaron Sorkin got that. He's like, he wants people in 2002 that had the perfect political perspective that we have in 2018. And we're going to go back and give that to like smug intellectuals that they didn't have in 2002. <laughs> sure. But come on. Is that that movie actually is from the 70s and it plays a reality from the 70s? That it actually does. I mean, I actually compared it with, uh, with Fight Club from the perspective is that the message is not that different. It's true that they actually liberation different tools, but it's like it's again like telling the same story about like people are discontent, but they're like too comfortable with their lives. Is like how we're going to be like just waking them up, how we're going to be like steering them, you know? Is like with Fight Club, is like with the violence and just trying to uh, come all through a uh, hyper violence, you know, and toxic masculinity. And this movie is actually about like what about if their brains are already fried? Why don't we actually just made them angry. It's like, I love how <laughs> he progresses like with the, like the card reader, you know, how he said, it's not the tarot card reader. It's the, the clairvoyant woman. The one who picks stocks? Yeah, the one that they talk yeah. about like, oh, I'm going to have enough, I'm going to be emotionally involved with a middle-aged, I don't know, like crazy mouse. Oh, or, yes. Uh Suit the no, soothsayer. It's a card reader that, yeah. that picked the stocks, but also has moments of clairvoyance, and she predicted they done away would get involved with a <laughs> middle-aged man. Yeah, yeah, I love how that actually starts as a joke. About like, well, you're not going to be like putting that in a new show. It's like, yeah, come on, just on Fridays. As that when they show like for the first time the new studio and they're like just rotating the plates, and she's there is like, holy shit, <laughs> holy shit. But that's what people want. But you know what's hilarious about that? There's a TV show about haunted celebrities. And YouTube today suggested that I watch an episode of the show about what is the name of the owner of Playboy that died? I don't remember. Uh, the Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. No? Hugh Hefner. So Hugh Hefner had a reality TV show where he had three girlfriends, right? And one I of his girlfriends was named Kendra. And this TV show is about Kendra's haunting. And I thought, <laughs> this fits into network so well because there's a clairvoyant on there trying to understand this Playboy model's haunting. 
and I was like, network got it too on the nose. This is yeah. too accurate. Well, the only the only difference that I would say, the only kind of thing that we are not there except in Fox News, is that this was the news. You know, yeah, all the polemic is true. about like, look, you can do this, you know, in any other program, but it's like, no, you guys turn the news into this kind of multimedia debacle, you know, like this kind of orgy of sensationalism. But also I thought again about the learning channel, which growing up, I learned about the Romans and about the Egyptians and about the Syrians on this learning channel. And now it's um, rednecks hunting gators on the bayou in Louisiana. That's what the learning channel shows now. And when I heard Faye Dunaway talk about, <laughs> we need to show unconventional programming. We need to have soothsayers, clairvoyants. It was just fucking pissing me off because it's like, yeah, that's is that. That's where we are now. So, I mean, from that perspective, I would say that it's extremely forward thinking. It's like TV wasn't like that. So I understand then why as a satire, the network is almost perfect, right? Yeah. But am I being um, unrealistic in my expectations that the satire would have a comment about where we should be going and it didn't give me that? So you want a high level or, you know, like high from above kind of moralist comment about like how you have to behave because if that's the case, you have to watch the newsroom. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how it's talking, man. <laughs> but I think about a film like Loveless. Loveless was a perfect satire on the state of Russia today, but it also sure. left me with a lot of things to think about. The network, it didn't leave me anything to think about. It was like, yep, they were right. Uh, real news is no longer a thing. There's no place in the world for journalists with integrity. I get that. But also, what questions did it ask as the movie ended? And I don't know that it asked any. But but don't you have the feeling that that's not completely fair? Is that we ended up on that world. But if we had asked it was this on the 70s, probably one of the questions is like, how do we avoid going there? How do we actually just consume like better media? How do we actually well, just prevent this from happening? He said, like, now it happened. He said, like, what do we do? He said, well, like really forward thinking, but he said, like, I don't have more questions. Yeah, thank you so much. He said, like, you guys imagine this future, this future happen. Well, that's why I asked if I'm being unrealistic and I, I feel like there's something the film didn't give me that was above and beyond satire because the satire was pitch perfect. It was 100% what the filmmakers predicted would happen and it's 100% accurate to what we have now. But I feel like just it didn't give me something more than satire, which a comic strip can do, right? Mm, okay. No, I mean, that's, that's fair. I don't know if the film... I mean, I think that the film, you actually have to think about the message that it gives you. Is that true? It's a satire, but it's a satire about like how television can just exploit and how could it become like extremely sensationalist. And it's like maybe there is a part of it that you think about the 70s is that they try to warn about that happening and just trying to educate. Maybe it was like an Aaron Sorkin's like kind of idea in that time. It's like we didn't live on that time. But it's like when you actually compare with the rest of the shows that they mentioned, it's like everything feels so white and family friendly. That is like what they're doing. It's like it's not like just a tiny bit worse. It's that they actually have a program that is about terrorists committing crime. And basically the network funding that terrorist uh, yep. activity and buying their, their footage, which it was really interesting to see that the first terrorist footage that uh, was of interest to the network was something filmed live, which is something we see all the time now. Like everybody yep. does that. It reminded me of all the killing of black people recently. Yep. Like it was, like I said, I mean, it's amazing satire and it's, it's just pitch perfect, pitch perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that it's, like it's, it's hard right now to actually abstract ourselves when we live on that reality. And even worse, it's like, I was even thinking about Citizen. It's like, yeah, probably they wouldn't have used the recording that those guys made of themselves. Probably they would have used a recording that someone made for Citizen. And you're referring to the app that basically like in, instills fear into the heart of everyone by letting you know. But the funny thing is that when you, yeah, but when you actually open, like when you open up and there is an incident around you, they tell you that, hey, this is happening close to you. Why don't you pick up your phone and record it for us? Mm -hmm. 
So it's like from the perspective that they wouldn't even need a terrorist group. They could actually use the videos uploaded to, uh, to see. Citizen is the new terrorist group. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> think that is that, but it's like, it's the new uh, UBS. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I just think that it's like, a, I understand the point that you're making. I agree with you, but at the same time, I don't think that it's completely fair from the perspective that we didn't live up on that point, is that we only live up like this situation right now. When I watched it 15 years ago, is I probably I thought about like, holy shit, yeah, we're going that way. And, it's and like, now we're here. We and now we're here. We arrived. We are in network. <laughs> <laughs> this is our destination. Yeah. Um, so what is your score? Who scores first? I. It was your pick, so I think I should score first. And cool. I don't know. I've gone anywhere from a seven to an eight. And I think after our conversation, I'm going to give it an eight. So I have an A2. I wrote it at the beginning of the program. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a good movie. And I've known about this movie forever, and I've never watched it because I confused it with Hackers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but yeah, this this movie was yeah. like good. This is a good fucking movie. And even though it's 35 years old, no, 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 45 years old, right? Yeah. It's completely relevant, uh, and the performances were incredible. The script got under my nerve, my nerves a little bit, but that's because <laughs> Baron Sorkin. Um, but no, I, I this was a great, a great movie. Yeah, and the funny thing, something that you mentioned right now about the uh, the script again, something that I love that I forgot to mention earlier is like uh, Howard, Howard's character looked like he's going to be the center of everything, and he's not. No, he's the sacrificial lamb. Exactly. What, what does the network need to, to thrive? And they used yep. him up and then they murdered him. Yep. Yep. I is that wish your... that would happen with the Kardashians. <laughs> Maybe one day. One can only hope. <laughs> when E really needs some ratings boosts, they're just going to kill off Kim. <laughs> exactly. It's like, e, you really did your part. <laughs> we are done with you. Uh, no, but it's like, I say, I. I, I was like just mind blown by that. It's like I couldn't remember. I yes, I remember that he got killed at the end of the movie, but I couldn't remember if he committed suicide or they killed him. And I found uh, fascinating how secondary he felt to the story. And he was. He was like, yeah. he was nothing to the network with ratings, nothing. Yeah. And yeah. his best friend was like, I'm going to try and stay him. Nope, I'm going to fall yeah. in love with his producer. <laughs> Exactly, with the one that is actually exploiting him. I, I don't know. Yeah. I found it like really smart. It's true that it is like pretty face value. I agree with you with that about like, yeah, there is no art. I mean, there is art from the perspective like it's well made. It, it actually displays a reality like pretty well. It's forward thinking. But if I think about out there cinema, I feel like there is there's, no, there's no, nothing. That's, that's not here. That's that's not in here. You know, <laughs> it's like if I only compare, if you go back to just talking about Sidney Lumet, if I compare it with Twelve Angry Men, is like true? You know, Twelve Angry Men. I don't think that is uh there is like a lot of uh I don't know less subtlety to it. But no, the same, there's nothing subtle, and there's nothing kind of there's no like existential statement about who we are and where we're going. It's just like. Ah, here's satire about the news. Well, I mean about Twelve Angry Men. I mean, like in Twelve Angry Men, I oh, think there sorry, is like a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like okay, there is nothing that is like too subtle about Twelve Angry Men. It's like Henry Fonda looks at the camera about like you guys are trying to convict this guy because you're going to just move with your life instead of just thinking about like what are the consequences of your life. But like, he actually spells to the camera. The, the Russian remake of Twelve Angry Men, which was twelve. Yeah. The reason 12 Angry Men is so good is because when they remade that film 50 years later and used it to apply the Russian relationship with Chechnya, it's a yeah. perfectly timely mess or timeless message. It can be yeah. applied anywhere. Yeah. And that is the thing that I think Network kind of loses is that it was a statement on where things were and where they're going and nothing more. That's no, it. that's true. That's true. But I think the 12 Angry Men from that perspective, I agree with you, that is more timeless. Yeah. There's the kind of like if you pull 12 people in there is like probably the mob mentality is going to be like kicking in and just showing the worst of our human nature. Racism. Yeah, racist. Yep. I mean, I don't remember, I don't remember if actually uh, 12 Agri Men 
the kid that he was accused, I think that he was white. Yeah, but he was yeah. poor. So I when think. I say twelve, I I think that. Yeah, yeah, in that case, it's racist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I think that it's more like the mob mentality that is going to be like just the wrong aspects of our mentality is going to be like just displaying and winning over people. It's but like uh, the most common denominator, mob exactly, mentality, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what are we watching this week? All right. So, I've been thinking all day about this. <laughs> um, I picked three films. I'm going to give you the choice. So the one that I want is called The Turin Horse mm-hmm. um, by, a, I believe he's Polish, a Polish director called Belatar. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently it's awesome, but it could be super fucking brutal. <laughs> and I don't want to expose you to that. So if you don't want to watch that, we can watch Gaspar Noe's pornographic film, Love. Or we can watch Hackers by Angelina, or with Angelina Jolie. She's not by Angelina. No, she's not. not. She didn't direct that. (laughs) So you tell me what what you're good for, and and we'll watch that. I love that you actually, and we discussed this before the the podcast, but I love that you can tell me that you don't want me to expose to a very sad police movie called The Touring Horse, where a horse get actually just violently abused until death, but you want me to expose to hackers again. We're going to end up Which, watching what hackers. What is the lesser evil? We're going to end up watching hackers, but it's like, you're going to regret it. Believe me. I watched that movie. You're going to regret it. Uh, yeah. No Angelina Jolie movie has disappointed me. Not one. Not True. even Tomb Raider 2. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Your bar is really low. Uh, did you ever watch uh, Gaspar Noe's Love? Love? No, and I love, I, I don't love Gaspar Noe. I have a love-hate relationship with yeah. how much he punches me in the stomach when I watch his movies. Yeah. So, so. I was I, I was climbing up like some months ago and I told you, like, I really want to watch more Gaspar Noe's movies because I'm not sure if I like him or I only yeah, respect what he did. I, I'm I not have sure. no idea. <laughs> I have a, no idea if I liked him or not. Yeah. I don't know if it's an abusive relationship. You know, if it's a bit more like, okay, you already won me over, just abuse. Or it's a bit more like, no, you have a talent here. Or is know? it like Michael Haneke? Like, I'm willing to be, have the, the shit kicked out of me because this is art. <laughs> yeah. I, we agree on that. It's like, I'm not sure if uh, Gaspar Noyes can get to the Haneke's level or he's like, you're going for like the easy kick. Right. You know, like they say, like, okay, this is going to be like pretty gratifying because it's violent, it's like visually appealing, or there is like some kind of additional message. So we discussed that I have actually the far noise love on my Netflix queue. So this time we can watch the touring horse, but right. next time we'll watch Love because I really want to watch that movie. Well, and if I you would want like to, to go with in this, advance for the yeah. touring horse, because I think it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> It's going to be two hours and a half of violence against the of horse. Of a horse being beaten to death that makes Nietzsche go insane because he's God. So. Yeah. Okay, man. This, this was great. I mean, I'm pretty happy that you like it. It's actually the movie I, my younger self, 15 years ago, was right about this movie. This is good. 25-year-old Jose had some taste. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. and the servant. I'm surprised. I was smart back then. I don't know what went wrong. So we both gave it an eight, right? Yeah, we both give it it's an a, a rare time we agree on something. So yeah, especially with a high score, I think that we agreed around you know like the room and stuff like that that is like so low <laughs> that it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Well, see you next time. This was great. Yeah, same. Wash your hands. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>